My name is Dr. Reese Granger. Welcome to Head First, the Concussion Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to Head First, a Concussion Podcast. In this episode, we're going to finish off the discussion from the previous episode about what is a concussion, the neurometabolic cascade and the energy deficit disorder that occurs in a concussion when you get hit. So in the last episode, if you remember, we talked about normal cell physiology, ATP, sodium-potassium pump, and how that all works on a normal, everyday basis in a healthy individual. This episode, we're going to go over what actually happens to these intricate structures on a cellular level when we're concussed or receive a mild traumatic brain injury. However, before I get into this and dive deeper further into the episode, since last recording, the International Sports Group of Concussion have released their concussion census statement. I'd love to deep dive and talk about that as a whole, what they found and what they released. However, I haven't quite finished reading the actual journal article itself. It's 17 pages long. I've skim read it first, got the general consensus, looked at the main bits. However, I don't want to give an opinion, essentially, and weigh into any of the discussions without fully reading it, all 17 pages, until I've got a comprehensive understanding of what they're saying and what they, they mean. I just feel that's a little bit unprofessional and going off half cock. In saying that, what their main consensus about the people in concussion and the concussion world is that they haven't drawn a conclusion or a causation between CTE and concussion. It's kind of been sidestepped. I'll talk about all this in an episode that I'm going to dedicate to this consensus statement. As they have updated the SCAT 5 to SCAT 6, and a few little other things in there along the way as well. So I'll do an episode solely on that and covering everything to do that. But now back on today's episode and for the usual segment of Cleaned Up. Okay, so on Cleaned Up this week, a little bit more of a positive spin. I found these two articles when I was doing some light reading, if that's what you'd like to call it which really perked my interest. The first one was called Musculoskeletal Injury Risk After a Sports-Related Concussion, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis by Al McPherson and Atul, published in 2019 when I was reading that one. It also led me to find in another one article by Teresa L. Chawinski and Atul. Uh, This one was called Impaired Motor Control After Sports-Related Concussion Could Increase the Risk for Musculoskeletal Injury Implications for Clinical Management and Rehabilitation. So, in a nutshell, basically what the articles looked at, sorry, a systematic review and a meta-analysis first up is level one evidence where authors collect every single piece of literature on that topic that fits their inclusion criteria which they were set and they'll systematically appraise and synthesize each aspect of that topic. It's important to note that each part of that literature being assessed has to be able to be reproduced by other authors, researchers, etc. Now, these articles looked at the correlation or the link between concussion and musculoskeletal lower body injuries. 
Now, the excuse me, the authors stated this needs further research, which most things always has that as a caveat, is to firmly establish and confirm links between these two. However, the presenting frameworks provided looked more than what you'd say just pure coincidence under the Bradley Hill criteria, which I'll talk about later when we go into evidence-based research. Basically, Bradley Hill criteria is like six sections and if things marry up and correlate over the six sections, well, then it's just more than a coincidence. So, anyway, what they found is a person who received a concussion had a higher rate of a lower body musculoskeletal or ligament injury when returning from the concussion. The theoretical link here given was that sports require motor control in a rapidly changing environment along with additional cognitive demands, which we can all agree on. So if we think motor control being catching, kicking, passing the ball, running, and we think of cognitive demands as interpretation of play, recall the game plans, and predicting where the play is going to end up and where you need to run. They further went on to state that athletes cannot accurately perceive and process motor and sensory cues in the given environments with such high cognitive demand and performance of tasks and do this simultaneously. So they also believe that this could leave an athlete vulnerable to the musculoskeletal injury that we're talking about. This is because when you're concussed, your cognitive threshold decreases under the neurophysiological changes. And we've previously seen, as you see on TV and in all your sports, balance and posture, stability change, uh, inability to complete tasks. And it's still not 100% proven, but there are theories there that muscle activation and force production is altered along the movement patterns and motor output and performance. So a muscle strain or a tear is basically when more load goes through the muscle than what the muscle can actually handle. Likewise, the same with an ACL injury, an anterior cruciate ligament is the anterior translation, so the forward movement of the tibia, which is your shin bone, on the femur, which is the thigh bone. Now, I'm going a little bit off topic there in talking about that, but just to give you a brief description of the muscles and the neurophysiology that they're talking about. So another example of neurophysiology would be all right, people that go to the go to the gym and you squat and you deadlift, okay? You feel really tight. Now it's not that you have tight muscles, it's actually neurophysiology. It's your brain telling your muscles, I don't trust you in this range of motion that you're about to set, so I'm going to make you feel tight so you can't achieve that range of motion. So you look at a squat, okay, how you got to get below parallel, arbitrary number. you got to get below parallel, and I want you to squat, but your muscles are too tight and won't let you go below parallel. Now, a simple way to hack this, it's what I do and it's what I taught my clients to do as well. In order to trick your mind, what you would do is just say your working weight's 50 kilo. You'll squat the bar. Then after you squat the bar, you'll put 10 kilo on, okay? But after you do that, you'll do a pigeon stretch for 30 seconds, which is a piriformis stretch. You will then do, uh, let's see, a stiff-legged deadlift, like just single leg, 
then you will do a couch stretch for your quad and then you will do a rec fem foam roller so you pretty much do a active warm-up static stretch active warm-up static stretch squat the bar again with the weight that's on it then once you've done that you add a little bit more weight then you'll go back into your piriformis stretch then your single-legged deadlifts it's just body weight there's no extra weight then you'll go into your couch stretch for your quad and then you'll go back to your rec fem for your foam rolling you squat the next weight you do that three times now what you're doing besides lack of a better term limbering or loosening up you're then tricking your mind into saying hey i'm okay in this range of motion let me squat and then over time as you do that your mind trusts your body to do that you get better range of motion and you don't feel as tight so it's pretty much hijacking the neurophysiology of your brain and your muscles and that connection my point here being is that neurophysiology and neurobiological changes in the nervous system alter your motor control and your perceived output. In the case of the gym, it's a good thing. In the case of concussion, it's not controlled, increases the risk of injury. However, when you gradually explode in a controlled setting like I discussed, that can be beneficial. Again, this research, a very new area High, pos- high probability and causation but they haven't quite settled out why this happens anyway I've completely probably butchered that trying to explain it to you and for you to understand I just found it really interesting and something I'm going to keep an eye on now back to the episode Okay, time to get stuck into the neurometabolic cascade and what is a concussion part two of this episode. Before I go any further, first I just want to describe the brain and what grey matter is and what white matter is in the brain. So grey matter is basically the information processing center in the brain. It's named when you look at it because the cross sections are a greyish color. It contains cell bodies, dendrites, nerve synapses are responsible for speech, feeling, memory, uh, controller muscles uh, when we lose neurons occurs in the gray matter it tends to lead to neurodegenerative disease when we lose neurons in this area white matter is the connection or the networks between the gray matter of segments and is made up of bundles of axons and neurons these are conat- coated excuse me in myelin as we discussed in previous episode which helps transmit faster electrical impulses and signals whilst also providing protection believe also sorry that there's mixtures of proteins and lipids in the white matter so basically they're railway tracks and station between the stations of the gray matter so they take the neuron you get a disease like multiple sclerosis here which is the demyelin of the myelin sheath around the axon and it's destroyed so basically gray matter makes up 40 percent of our brain whilst the other 60 percent is made up of white matter Concussion, as discussed, is a temporary neuronal dysfunction and neurometabolic cascade of events through stretching and shearing of these axons, okay, that's in the gray matter and the Y matter via acceleration and deacceleration. 
So that's why you'll hear it sometimes being called an acceleration, deacceleration injury. It was thought that it was once a coup contracute injury. However, as research and evidence has evolved over time, we now believe that it's the mechanical stretching and shearing of axons. So the coup contracute injury referred to the brain moving back and forth and smashing to the back of the skull, the front of the skull, vice versa. And then this is where we got that ugly term of brain bruising, which come from most bruising being as a result of the capillaries or the small blood vessels being damaged by the force of the impact. So after discussing the grey matter and the white matter and the stretching and shearing or acceleration or deceleration of the axons, we are now ready to talk about a concussion. And now there's two phases to a concussion or a mild traumatic brain injury. Excitatory phase and the spreading depression phase. So the excitatory phase contains the stretching and shearing along with the acceleration and deceleration component as we stated before. So concussion was once believed that occurred in the grey matter. However, due to the advancements in technology and being able to look on a electrical signal and impulse kind of level, we now see it's happening at a deeper level, which is in the wider matter. The white and grey matter are different in densities, so they weigh different to each other. So when we get hit, we have a transfer of force sorry, into the brain. The grey and white matter accelerate and deaccelerate at two different rates. So they stretch apart and the matter cuts across one another, okay, creating a shearing force and it also cuts the axons and the neurons that are there for a lack of a better term. Okay, so again, two different viscosities. One's going forward, one's going back because they weigh different and then it cuts the axons in half. When we stretch all these neurons, they're also deformed. The neural membranes, we basically open all the voltage gate channels that we talked about last time, creating a free-for-all. All the sodium comes rushing into the cell. Potassium takes off outside the cell and an action potential has taken place. Now, these action potentials are not controlled, so we have millions of them taking place at once. So last episode, we talked about how they're controlled, and it's an all or nothing. This isn't controlled, so everyone just takes off everywhere. Now, these action potentials not being controlled, just millions happen and occur. Then remember, we had a byproduct of an action potential we call glutamate. He releases, go gets on the party with all the other neurons that which weren't affected and he makes them all excited. Then they all release action potentials and then we're off and running. Okay, so this just keeps happening and happening and happening to all the neurons in the brain are fired. Glutamate also activates N-methyl-D aspartate or NMDA receptors. Say that five times fast and see where you end up. Mouthful. It allows the influx of calcium into the cell and this is where our main problem occurs in concussion is that influx of calcium into the cell. Now we have the neuronal dysfunction and need to be reset. We need everything back to baseline. This is where old mate sodium potassium pump comes in to do and clean up the job that we talked about. There's a lot more he has to do now to put everyone back where he belongs and he wants payment, remember? He wants that payment in the form of APT. Excuse me, I'm losing my words at the moment. He wants payment in the form of ATP, 
nothing else. He doesn't care. That's all he wants. This is where the supply and demand comes in. We don't have enough ATP for the pump to do his job. And when calcium comes flooding into the cell, it attaches to the mitochondria and clogs him up so it can't be used because that's where ATP is made, remember. The oxidative system breaks down glucose and it's just, it's not working. It's defunct. Okay, so now the preferred metabolism that makes 32 to 38 ATP molecules, depending what article you want to read, they will argue about it, but it's around that ballpark. Now we have to switch over to an anaerobic metabolism, which is way less efficient, and the waste product breaks down has the potentials to cause cell death. However, in a mild traumatic brain injury, we can somewhat combat this when this actually happens. When we have moderate or severe, we can't. It's irreversible damage, and that's where you get your brain death and your injury and your cell death and so forth. We'll also do a blood flow segment in further episodes. However, the body perceives that we need more glucose for ATP. Therefore, the body wants to increase the blood flow, and the blood flow in rats is shown to decrease by 50%, which is a little controversial at the moment. So just park that. But now we have an energy deficit crisis. We need more ATP than what we can produce, and there's a mismatch. The neurometabolic cascade is now in effect. So most of these increases that last only one to four minutes, but we have a 400% increase in the extracellular potassium and the intracellular calcium, we have nearly a 500% increase. These are compared to our normal baselines. These can stay like this for one to four days as the glutamate keeps these channels open and the blood flow has the potential to linger for one to two weeks. Now, this is where you get your signs and symptoms. At this stage, after your initial hit, you get your loss of consciousness, your seizures, like uh, for those in Australia that watch NRL, Victor Radley, I'm seeing it with Tua in the NFL, ice hockey, I've seen some gnarly hits. So you kind of get the, the seizures I'm talking about. People get very emotional, memory and cognitive problems, delayed response, vacant facial expressions, also, they slur their speech, stumble in. This phase can last one, two seconds or even into minutes. So that's the excitatory phase. Now we've got the spreading depression phase. So the spreading depression occurs over the following days where there's a slowly propagating wave of neurons that are being completely depolarized. So the glutamate, how it keeps going from neuron to neuron, creating the action potential. Once the action potential has happened, the cell has to depolarize before it comes back up and sets the baseline, okay? So all these neurons now are completely depolarized. ATP levels are completely depleted and they're slowly coming back. However, can't come back quick enough. How they found this out was poor old Mighty Mouse, or the rats again, was studied is that Okay, how do I state this? I'll start again. So they had rats in these studies and they gave every single rat a concussion and then waited till they hit a time point in the certain concussion. Obviously euthanized the rat, took its brain out, cut it open and measured their ATP levels in an autopsy. And then they did the exact same thing to a control group at the same time 
didn't autopsy in that rat again, and they measured ATP levels. They gave the bunch of rats concussions in order to do this over the preceding weeks, and that's how they found out, better or worse, where the ATP levels are and the spreading depression. Okay, now obviously we can't do this in humans, hugely unethical, okay, and you, yeah, you just don't even go there. Anyway, so the signs and symptoms at this stage, sleep disturbances, whether that be an increase of sleep or a decrease of sleep, okay, and if you're listening to this, just with the sleep, we'll do another episode just purely on that, but when you get concussed, keep a routine, okay, because you've got no no structure or anything and that's how most sleep gets out of whack you've got to keep a routine with your sleep regardless how tired or not tired you are moving on anyway people become frustrated mood swings poor concentration memory dysfunction easily fatigued which makes sense because it requires energy okay you put more stress on the body to perform atp does absolutely everything when it comes to energy and energy production then we get headaches dizziness, vision, possible light sensitivity, all them kinds of things. So that's pretty much concussion in a nutshell on a physiological level, okay? So just to wrap the last two episodes together, we had the normal cell function of the sodium, potassium in their correct rooms, the action potential, everything resets via ATP, we go again. Then when we have a concussion, the neurometabolic cascade and the energy deficit disorder split into two, an excitatory phase and a spreading depression phase, okay? The excitatory phase contains the stretching and the shearing or the acceleration or deceleration component after we get hit from the brain with the gray matter and the white matter, okay? All the action potentials happen at once. We haven't got enough ATP to set everything back to baseline and that's because in the mitochondria when the calcium comes running into the cell because when we get hit the pores of the neurons stretch open and everything comes running in clogs up the mitochondria so no ATP can get made we have to swap over the systems in which we make it we only make one to two ATP out of this system very inefficient blood flow changes occur again somewhat controversial but we'll still go into it can last one to four minutes, this neurometabolic cascade, but there's a 400% increase in the extracellular potassium. Then over the preceding one to four days, the intracellular calcium is nearly a 500% increase. Then we go into the spreading depression phase, which is the glutamate that we discussed before, makes everything else excited, and the action potentials just keep going, and all the neurons are depolarized. So that's pretty much it. That's concussion on a physiological level and what happens. So I hope this episode and the last episode has helped clear some things up about how concussion happens and it takes place. I'll leave a link in the show notes of the journal articles that I read and that I got this from and also for the cleaned up segment. And that basically concludes the episode. Uh, my apologies also, I completely minced some of my words before and earlier i just get a little bit passion passionate there we go again and excited about the topic of concussion and trying to help everybody and again in the meantime 
I'll read the journal article on the consensus statement and do an episode dedicated to just that one and what they found and what they're proposing put forward and around the CTE and why they're up in arms about it. All the best. And that concludes today's episode. Even though I'm a registered chiropractor, all the information provided today is based off my interpretation of the research and is of my opinion and my opinion only. This is not a substitute for professional medical advice of your doctors or physician. If you believe you are suffering from something similar or the injuries discussed in today's episode, please contact your medical practitioner. I am your host, Dr. Reese Granger. Thank you for listening.